join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, or Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Good morning to each of you. I am Amelia Richardson-Dress. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am one of the pastors here at UCC Longmont, where we are a community that is living and learning every day into being a community of welcome, of belovedness, of embrace for all people. And so on each Sunday morning or each service when we gather together, we usually gather together by welcoming each other. And so I invite you to join with me and your neighbors, uh, with the staff and the volunteers who make Sunday morning happen in using the words of welcome that are printed in your bulletin. And so we say together, no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Friends, you are indeed welcome and wanted and valued in this place. And that is true no matter how you are arriving today, no matter what else you might be bringing with you in your body or in your mind or in your spirit. This is a place just to let all of that be. But if there are things that you find that perhaps you want to set aside this morning, maybe some things that are drawing your attention to places that are not helpful for you for this time of prayer and worship and uh, thinking together, then go ahead and take a minute and set those aside. And sometimes I just imagine physically setting them aside in a basket maybe right next to you, and they will be there. You can pick them up in, you know, 45 minutes and take them with you and do what needs to be done with them. Let us breathe together a breath of spirit, the breath of life, the breath of creation. And so as we breathe in, you might perhaps want to say something to yourself like, I breathe in the Spirit of God, and I breathe out peace. And we'll take a moment just for breathing. I breathe in God, and I breathe out peace. with that peace settling here on us, perhaps even more deeply uh, as we move through the service, know that this is a place that is welcome to people of all ages, um, of all prayer and uh, learning styles and abilities. So as you kind of get oriented, know that there is a staffed nursery in the back 
There's also a coloring table right there behind those pews for anybody who listens and thinks a little better if their hands are busy. And in a moment, we will have the opportunity for any kids who would like to go to children's church to do that. But first, we get to stand and join in singing as some of our kids bring in the light. And we will be singing Breathe on Me from the Sing uh, hymnal. Notice that we're singing the italicized verses one and two. Those are the ones at the bottom. So let us stand and sing together. As we move to this gathering prayer, which uh, Cora will be leading us through, we invite you to join in saying the parts in bold. We come today. We come today. May we live this day. Amen. And any of the children who would like to go to Children's Church this morning are welcome to. Uh, Anna will be leading that. They are just right there in the back. Kids are always welcome to remain in the sanctuary for the service as well. Our uh, story this morning, our scripture reading this morning, comes from Matthew. And it comes from chapter 4. We're reading verses 1 through 11. This happens just after Jesus has been baptized. And he has heard the Spirit saying to, them, saying to him, You are my beloved. Then Jesus was led 
by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to a holy city and placed him at the pinnacle, the top of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, God will command God's angels concerning you, and on your hands they will bear you up so that you will not even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put your Lord God to the test. And then the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, I will give these to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only God. And then the, devils, the devil left him, and suddenly the angels came and waited on him. Words of wisdom for us to ponder this morning. In uh, 1995, the war in Bosnia ended after th about three years. Uh, and the war had many reasons, as all wars do, but it did turn out that it was primarily fought along religious and ethnic lines. And so there were Orthodox Christian Serbs and Muslim Bosniaks and Catholic Croats all fighting one another. And then as we know from other places in the world, the wounds of all of those wars uh, run deep. And so getting people to, to live side by side after they had been fighting each other for several years was extremely difficult. And in the middle of this, a Franciscan monk, Father Ivo Markovich, who had already been working on peacemaking efforts during the war and interfaith efforts during the war, put together a choir. And his hope was to help people learn to live together again by having them sing together. In an interview with the BBC, Father Markovich talked about how the choir first got started, and they first started by singing Jewish songs because no one in the choir was Jewish. It was a safe place for them to start. And when he tells the story, he says those were easy. It got harder when they started introducing Muslim songs and Catholic songs and orthodox songs. He said people couldn't sing the songs of their enemies. 
They couldn't sing the songs of their enemies because they felt physical disgust. But after two or three months, the same people who struggled to sing these songs together ended up saying, this is beautiful to learn all of these new songs. Today for us in the Christian tradition is the first Sunday in Lent. It's the time leading up to Easter. It's just over six weeks, and it's a reflective time. It's often a somber time. It starts with Ash Wednesday, where people are marked with ashes, and they're reminded that from dust they came and to dust they'll return. It's a time where we're invited to face our fears more deeply, to face our mortality, our humanity, to face our mistakes. The, sin, the Bible often calls mistakes sin. It's a time when we learn to sing the song of our enemies. A time when we learn to come closer to all of those things that we would normally push aside rather than welcome in. And so like that choir in Bosnia found and has continued to find, it's hard, but it's also beautiful. Our Lenten theme this year in our sermon series is letting go. And so together, over the course of the next several Sundays, we'll be reflecting on the aspects of ourselves that we need to let go of in order to pick something else up. And so today we're thinking about letting go of ego or of status in order to pick up right relationship. But I want to think about that today by starting at the place that this letting go work can't be done until we begin to recognize what it is we're attached to. We can't let go of something we don't even know that we're carrying. It's sort of like when we lay out all the clothes for our suitcase as we're getting packed. We need to check in and see what it is that is maybe lingering and hiding in a corner. In some ways, this is similar to the work that spiritual directors sometimes call shadow work. It's done in different ways, but it's the process of uncovering parts of ourselves that we might normally hide or just suppress. And sometimes that's about trauma. Sometimes it's about parts of our personality that we wish we didn't have. And so we avoid facing them. And then just like all of those enemy voices joining together in a choir, we do look at them. And we look at them to heal and to repair and to befriend those parts of our lives that are hard. And I know that sitting right here in this room, that probably sounds um, pretty amorphous, but there's a practical piece to it if we think about how it shows up just in daily life. And so if we think about the ways that um, we've reacted maybe when we have been hurt by someone or something, and that hurt settled in, and we didn't want to address it for whatever reason. 
Maybe we just really wanted that other person's love and approval, and we didn't want to jeopardize that. Maybe we just didn't want to have the hard conversation. And so we tried to pretend that it didn't matter, and we tried to pretend that it didn't matter even to ourselves, which works for a bit. But then the anger starts to seep out. Maybe we start being just a little bit petty around that person. Maybe we take it out on somebody else. Have you ever snapped at somebody else when you were really upset about something or somebody that they had nothing to do with? That's kind of that work of paying attention and recognizing to the things that we would rather not. And so today we have this story. A story of Jesus who is being confronted with some of the same temptations that we might face. He is faced with these temptations of power, of status. That's why we call them temptations of ego. We can think about them as the parts of ourselves that want us to be separate, want us to be removed or above everything else. And I want to come back to that, but before I do, I think it's worth addressing this, some of the questions that the story raises. And you might have felt those questions as you heard it read. There is, first of all, this question of temptation and the role of the spirit and of the devil in that. And for the author of Matthew, the spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness so that he can be tempted. There's something that Matthew is getting at here, some way in which Jesus needs to experience this in order to grow more fully who he is. And that can be a tough point because I don't think that God drives us into these painful wilderness experiences or drives us into temptation to test us. That said, it's pretty evident, right, that these things exist. We experience temptation. We experience that wilderness time of desolation. And we also can experience the growth that comes from them. Some of you might be familiar with the tradition of giving up something for Lent. And when people do that, they're kind of creating that wilderness experience for themselves, knowing that it could lead to growth. Sometimes, though, we don't have to create it. Sometimes we don't get to create it. Sometimes the wilderness just finds us. We lose a job. We're injured. We're experiencing mental health challenges. We have a crisis of faith. And it does make a difference, I think, in those times to say that God can work in and through those moments, even if we don't envision God creating them quite the same way that Matthew does in this particular story. Which brings us to a similar question about the devil. And I know that in a room (laughs) that has diverse 
religious experiences and ideas and beliefs that, that might not land on everybody's ears the same way. We might not, you might not have a sense of a devil as an embodied thing the way it seems to show up here. But there again, I think that we can agree that there are times when we have felt a pull to do something that we know isn't in our best interest, to act in a way that we know is not the movement that God is calling us for. That's what the Apostle Paul is describing when he writes in his letter to the Romans, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. And then sometimes I hate what I do. That's the experience of feeling tempted, of feeling pulled almost, almost stronger than we can resist. There's some richness then in examining these temptations that Jesus faces and seeing what they represent. And if you're joining in one of our sharing circles this Lent, I think that could be a good question for the week. What is it that these temptations represent for you, each of them? And maybe you take that up while you're journaling or you're thinking while you're hiking or doing some household chores. But I want to close by thinking about another point altogether. And that is, how do we respond when we're faced with this temptation, this pull? And the thing that we notice from the temptations of Jesus is that he turns to Scripture. Each of those times that he's confronted with something that he knows is not the will of God for him, he quotes a passage of Deuteronomy. That's where all of those things that he said comes from. And I can almost imagine it after these 40 days and 40 nights of fasting that in this moment of weakness, he doesn't have his own words. And so he uses the words that he does have, which are the words of God. I don't know, did anybody in here grow up in a tradition where you memorized um, Bible verses and perhaps in Sunday school you got stars for, yes, for Bible verses that you had memorized. It's really a rich tradition. It's not one that many of us um, have experienced. And I didn't, I didn't grow up in that tradition, but I grew up with a few things that have given me strength in those times. The Lord's Prayer is one of those. It's one that I turn to any time I need God and I don't have my own words. That benediction that I often use at the end of worship, that's actually a prayer that I grew up saying. And so now it's words that come to me anytime I need to ground myself. And so if you don't have something like that, I want to say it's not too late. There really is some strength that comes from having something that helps you draw nearer to God in the times when you really need it. And if it's not scripture for you, maybe it's a line from a wise person 
Maybe it's a mantra of some kind. The reason that I think that's important is that so much of what happens when our ego takes over is that it comes with a drive for urgency. Right? Notice that the devil doesn't say to Jesus, hey, you could turn these stones into bread. Take a moment. Think about it. Ponder for yourself. That's not how it happens. It comes and it comes and it pushes and it pushes. And so we need a way to create a pause. We need a way that becomes a habit and helps us remember in those moments who we are. And the second thing that I want to notice is the presence of the angels. Did you notice where the angels come up at the end of the the story? Right after the temptations are over. And I'll tell you uh, from experience, if you read this passage in just the right mood, when you're maybe a little bit down yourself or you're kind of feeling a little farther from God than you'd like to be, you might ask, what good are those angels anyway? Given the choice, most of the time we would rather be rescued than ministered to. What we want often in those wilderness times are superheroes who fly in and they fix everything. And sometimes that happens. But sometimes we don't get the superheroes. Sometimes we get angels. And maybe they don't fix the situation, but they love us into strength. They help us cope with what we're facing. And their presence, however that comes, whether that comes in a moment of profound quiet and that sense of God being with you, whether it comes in the offer of help from a friend, whether it comes in just sharing your story and having somebody else say, I know how that is. All of those angel moments are a reminder that although we find ourselves in the wilderness sometimes, Even that doesn't separate us from the love of God. And so as we begin this intentional wilderness journey together, this time of Lent, let that be our foundational thought. The thing that we take with us, whatever we do with these next six weeks of reflection and contemplation and perhaps diving deep into some harder questions. For today's anthem, Robert, Lauren, and I will be performing Never One Thing by Meryl Erlewine. 